Podcasting from Hartford, you're listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, your place for all things Connecticut sports. And here is your host, Jared Cutler. So, Brad, I, I want to start here and uh, get, given the times, uh, your, your book, The Wax Pack, it, it came out April 1st. Right now, you should be out doing events and everything. How's it been promoting the book virtually? <laughs> yeah, I would, I would literally be in Connecticut right now, I think. Um, I was supposed to be going to, let's see, yesterday, the Har- Hartford Yard Goats and throwing out a first pitch there. And, uh, and then going down to um, Rye, New York, and then New York City. So be kind of the beginning of like a 35-stop book tour. So the, the interaction that you talk about there really goes to, to the heart of your book here and being able to interact with these older players, getting to, to go on this road trip and experience that. So uh, for those who might not be familiar with the concept of the book, can you tell us how the whole idea of the Wax, uh, wax Pack came about? Sure. So I collected baseball cards like so many people in the 80s. And, you know, as a, as a kid, had thousands of them and I would trade them with my friends and organize them, put them in albums. And I really knew the players really well. I mean, I, you know, I just studied the backs of the cards and I had my favorite players who were more the, the journeyman types. And so I had, as a, as a journalist, thinking about possible projects, um, I wanted to, I've always wanted to do kind of long form narrative writing. And I think uh, uh, any kind of road trip book is especially conducive for that genre. So I was thinking about how the, the physical wax pack itself that I would, you know, that I bought so many of as a kid kind of evokes a book in that it's, you know, we got 15 cars. And so you think uh, 15 chapters and, um, when I was thinking about how to how to write about the guys that I grew up with, I thought you know having a single pack and and writing about whoever's in that pack would be a, a, a perfect device to kind of capture that 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 thrill of discovery and that random that randomness that you get when you when you get a single pack. And so that's kind of how I uh, you know it, it all started from the idea of a book from that pack. Yeah, you know, when you think about it, it's a genius idea, and, I, and I'm thinking there, like, oh, this this sounds just like so much fun and such a fun project. Can you give some insight into some of the players that were featured in this pack that that you decided to take this journey around? Yeah, I mean, so I knew that that in any pack you're going to get more of the kind of common cards and the star players, which is actually what I liked. I mean, I wanted, you know, I looked at, I have a mix. So there's Carlton Fisk, who was a hall of famer, grew up in new England, New Hampshire. Um, and Dwight Gooden, who of course was a superstar for the Mets, the Yankees, but there's also guys that are more obscure like Randy Reddy and Rance Mullenix. And so having that range of, of status in terms of baseball was, was nice to have that diversity. Um, but I also felt like the guys that were not the stars would just be more interesting from a, a journalistic perspective because they, their stories haven't been told, you know, I mean, Dwight Gooden's written three autobiographies. So it, it was challenging to think about how I could write something original about him, but Randy Reddy or, you know, um, Al Cowens have not really had their stories told, at least not since they were done playing. So I, I really was excited about being able to talk to those guys that that maybe hadn't been under the microscope so much. 
So, so give us a little behind-the-scenes treatment, if, if you can. How did you go about getting in touch with these players and getting them to, to go along with the idea of this book? So it, it really ranged. Someone like Rance Mullenix was as simple as a Google search, and I found his cell phone number because he's now a realtor. And so, you know, realtors always have their phone numbers everywhere. So I mean, I literally just made a cold call to him and explained the project. And he's a very, like, thoughtful, down-to-earth guy, and he was – it, it, immediately he was like, yeah, sure. It, I'll show you around if you want to come visit me. Um, so that was really easy. But then on the other hand, um, it, you know, like someone like Al Cowens who passed away, it's like, okay, well, how do you, how do you talk to a dead guy? Um, so for him, I found his widow living in East LA and wrote her a letter and then followed it up with a phone call. And she was kind of like, you could tell she really was suspicious of anyone from the media, didn't really want to talk. And then I ended up um, uh, getting, so I actually went down to, to when I got to, to uh, LA at the end of the trip, I went to her house to, to try to see if I, could, if I could talk to her. And she kind of blew me off. So then I ended up uh, going to Al Cowan's high school and going to an alumni association meeting where somebody knew Al Cowan's cousin, who then I was able to meet up. So it was all these like, you know, many, many degrees of, of Kevin Bacon to, to, you know, try to find, you know, you just use all the skills of a reporter to network and, and try to find somebody. And, and I feel like that has to be part of the fun in the project like this is, is going through those steps and trying to get these guys you know, interested in your project. Yeah. I mean, I think the word that I wanted to capture in the book was anticipation. You know, if I could get the reader to feel a sense of anticipation, that, that would be good. And so there's, that works on multiple levels. It works on like, well, am I going to be able to find the guys? And then once I do find them, how are they going to react to me? And well, what is their story going to be? And, and so I think it's always easier with a book like this, when you have some kind of a, a quest you know, a journey, it, it, you have that built-in anticipation that makes it um, easy for the reader to hang on to. Talking about that anticipation, were, 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 was there anyone in the pack who you were really interested in getting to have that conversation with? Um, and maybe they surprised you when you got to meet them or, or you didn't get to meet them and that surprised you? How, how did that go? Well, for sure. Like, like Don Carmen was my favorite player, my hero as a kid, and which I know is unusual. He was not a star player. So, but he was my, he was my guy. So getting to meet my childhood favorite, um, was a, a total mix of emotions because part of me was just totally fanboying out inside. But I also knew that I was there to get a story and to really tell his story. And, I knew meeting him in Naples, Florida, that I was going to be asking him some pretty personal stuff because I had done my research on him and I met with his mom and his and his brothers in the small town in Oklahoma where he grew up a few days prior. And I knew that there was like this backstory with his father and a really tough relationship there. And I had every intention of bringing it up. And so, you know, he does, he, of course, he has no idea I'm going to bring it up. So it's kind of a weird feeling to, to know you you're, you know, here's your childhood hero, and oh, I may actually be pissing him off in the next the next minute. Who who was the toughest guy to track down from the pack uh, that you had opened? Well, I I didn't get to everybody, so well, I guess I, I mean, I didn't. I got close to everybody, but like Vince Coleman, for example, um, I actually had 
had seen him in person before the trip when I was trying to set up the the meetings. I just, I was able to get his attention in spring training and he flat out told me like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I, I, I thought, well, it's always a chance. Like, so I went and, and went to Jacksonville where he grew up in Florida and found his childhood home. And I even took a picture this is kind of stalkerish, but took a picture of his, of the house and texted it to him and said, are you sure you don't want to talk? <laughs> And he never wrote back to me on that, so he clearly wanted nothing to do with me. But um, but I was still able to write about him and to tell the story of trying to retrace his roots. I think the the other part of the book that uh, that goes along with the baseball that's really interesting to me, and and I think road it, it's the idea of a road trip, and I, and I think road tripping and baseball almost go hand in hand. You talk to baseball fans; they love taking that road trip to check out a new stadium, right? Um, Right, there's a goal of like you try to get to all 30 stadiums, or yeah. yeah there's... So, so talk about the road trip part of the book, and, and how how did you get that idea of wanting to physically travel to meet these guys and, and do that road trip rather than just give them a call? Yeah, well, I, I my first job out of, uh, out of college was working for a travel magazine called Islands, and I was a fact checker there, and so I I knew the travel industry travel writing industry and i always when i thought about how i what i wanted the book to look like i always saw it as this narrative quest and that would mean like having to get on the road and i, I also knew that from the from it, a reader's perspective it would be a lot more entertaining to sort of be on the trip with me and for me to describe all these different things that i was seeing than it would to just tell someone's story over the phone and so that was, you know, to me, it would just make, it was going to make for a much richer story to be able to describe in detail all these different parts of the country. What, what was the best part of the trip, in your opinion, that, that you went through? You mean the actual travel part of it? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going, going into that a little bit. Um, well, you know, being on the road that long, it, it made me appreciate what it was, how, how hard it must have been for baseball players. I mean, I, I really was kind of like mimicking what they did every year, right? I mean, these guys live out of a suitcase and they're on the road for six months. And I mean, granted, they're staying in like beautiful hotels and I'm staying in a crappy, you know, Motel 6. But um, but just the grind of the road, uh, you get an appreciation for how hard that is on somebody. Um, and at the same time, the adventure of new town, new people, new stories – you know, every time you go into a new place. So for someone like me who, who enjoys, to me, travel is very meditative because you're, you're out of your comfort zone. And especially traveling alone is very meditative because you're not spending any, any energy thinking about your traveling companions and what they're doing. You're just able to be in the present moment with whatever you're seeing. And everything is new. So you're not, your mind isn't cluttered by the usual, you know, minutia of daily life. Did, did you have a city uh, that stuck out as a favorite city for you along this trip? Well, I think like the, the it's like the thing that stands out are the, is the contrast, like Camargo, Oklahoma, this town of 150 people in Western Oklahoma, where, I mean, I, at, this is where Don Carmen grew up and I go there and, and check it out. And I'm walking around the streets and there are people just, on like a Friday morning, just hanging out in their backyard, sitting around, just drinking beers, right? And, and and thinking that I look really suspicious. And I walked over to them and just sat with them for a little while. And, um, 
they when they kind of realized I was I was not a cop or you know they they let their let their guard down and I so I asked one of them like what do you do here and they said farm oil crystal meth I mean it was it was that it was that kind of place um, so to be able to see that and then contrast that with Compton um, where Al Compton grew uh, Al Cowens grew up like you could not have more polar opposites but that's that that encapsulates the country right how diverse the country is De- definitely and it and i think it then ties together nicely with with bringing all of these people from all these different backgrounds and that commonality of baseball between them all how you know despite growing up in all of these different places and getting to go see these places firsthand and meeting with the players you know Outside of baseball, was there anything that kind of brought all these people together or a similarity between these players? Well, one thing was interesting and I think is different probably than it is now is they all um, they all come from pretty humble roots, like really blue collar, you know, challenging upbringings, um, played three sports as kids. Like there was no specialization back then. Mm-hmm. Um and then I think the other thing is that they all, and the, really what, what I focused on in setting out on the, on the journey was, you know, what did you do when you woke up and you were 35 and you could never throw a ball again and you've got the rest of your life ahead of you, right? And so that kind of became the focal point for my discussions with them. I was more interested in the end than the beginning. And pretty much across the board, they all struggled with that. But a lot of guys got back on their feet a lot faster than others. And in fact, it was often the guys that were the not very successful baseball players that did a better job of that than the stars. You, you talked about one of the players you met with is, is now a realtor. What were some of the other uh, stories behind some of these people and what, what, their, what life was like for them after baseball? Well, someone like Lee Mazzilli, you know, he talked about he, he after he retired, he, he did all the, he was like he acted in an off-Broadway play. He went into real estate. He was the commissioner of an independent baseball league. I think he did like a restaurant and he did all these different things. And then one day his wife said, Lee, like, just go back, go back home. In other words, go back to baseball. <laughs> You've still got some stuff you got to work out. And, and once he kind of had her blessing, he went back and started managing and, you know, went back and started in the minor leagues and became a manager for the Orioles and, and had a whole coaching career. So I think some guys, they, they, you know, or Randy Reddy said um, when he retired, he said he was smart enough to not go right into coaching because he said you have to get the player out of you first. Uh, and it took mm-hmm. some, some time before he was ready to make that transition. So most of the guys did something related to baseball. But you have, you know, then you have Richie Hebner, who even when he was a player was digging graves in the off season, And to this day helps his friend drive a, a hearse at funerals. So you have a lot of a lot of different different things. Definitely some interesting stories. And when you bring up Lee Mazzilli, there uh, got a call out on this podcast at least with, with, with some Connecticut focus. His son uh, L.J. Mazzilli is a big star for uh, UConn baseball. That, uh, not too, that's right. Not too uh, not too long ago. In, in talking with these players about life after baseball, did it seem like they all still paid attention to the game today or, or follow it? Uh, you know, to some extent at least. I think the. Um, what was interesting is not I didn't meet any of these guys except for Rick Sutcliffe because it's his job. I mean, he's a commentator for ESPN, but the rest of them didn't. They were not nearly as as big fans as you might expect them hmm. to be. 
Um, so just thinking, I mean, I say most of them follow it, watch the highlights, catch a few innings here and there. I don't think anyone is, any of these guys are watching, you know, every game that they can. Um, some guys like, like, well, Gary Templeton, you know, it's in the book where we watched a little bit of a, of a giant's Padres game. And he was, he breaks down Matt Kemp's swing with me. And then he just goes, you know what? This is boring. Like, and it's funny, like he basically, you know, it's so funny that he played it for so much of his life and now he just thinks baseball's too boring. So, um, and then Don Carmen is interesting. He never really considered himself even that much of a baseball fan for him. It was more of a, a ticket out of Oklahoma and it was a way for him to apply his, his sort of competitive streak and his work ethic, but he wasn't necessarily, like a true baseball fan. Um, and then guys like Mazzilli, you know, he's still, his job is to be an ambassador at the Yankees and go in the, in the luxury suites and tell old war stories. So uh, it, it's, it's kind of across the board. You know, while, while some might think, you know, this, the game's boring or, or things of that nature, did any of them talk to you about how the game has changed at all from, from where they, when they played it to, to where the game is today? A little bit. I mean, the book, as you see, is not, is not really hyper-focused on baseball per se, mm-hmm. but I did have conversations with a lot of them about their thoughts on the game now. And I think they're all pretty old school and thinking that like, you know, they, I think they, they understand that, that the game is passed them by. I mean, Richie Hebner kind of more or less said that, and that, you know, the new generation of analytics and all of that is something that they don't even necessarily understand because it's, they just didn't grow up with it. Um, and I think that they, uh, you know, some of that I think is always a little bit of like, you're always going to romanticize the era that you played in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they, they, they are kind of like, I remember Hebner saying how just stunned he was by how much money the guys make now and how, di- and, and how really, well, I think he also said that he, he felt like the quality of players in some ways was better in his era because they had fewer teams and there were just fewer players. Mm. So it was more selective. Interesting to, to always hear their perspectives on how the game's changed. Uh, so Brad, I'll, I'll get you out of here on this one for, for someone who, who does read the book. What do you hope they take away from the book? What, 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 what's what, or at least what was your hope that, that someone who reads the book takes away from it? Well, I hope they had the experience that I had in writing it, which was that I actually feel closer to these guys because I feel like I can relate to them on a human level, um, that they're heroic for reasons not really to do with baseball, but for their willingness to open up and, and be vulnerable. And, you know, as you'll see in the book, there's a lot of a lot of that where guys are really um, letting their guard down. And so that to me is is courageous. Absolutely. Brad, uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. Again, again, the book is The Wax Pack on the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. So, Brad, I uh, really appreciate your time and uh, best of luck out there uh, promoting the book. Thank you. And, you know, people, if you can go to uh, waxpackbook.com is where you can go to get all the information about where to get it. And um, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast with Jared Cutler. If you like the show and want to know more, check out the podcast on Twitter at CT Scoreboard Pod, the host at Jared Kotler, and find us on Facebook at the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. 
Finally, if you enjoy what you're listening to, rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.